Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Katherine Morehouse. Climate hawks are closely watching efforts to potentially build a direct air capture plant in California's Central Valley. That's because the project's backers are engaging with residents from the start and even giving them veto power. It's an approach that could become a model for other infrastructure projects critical to reaching the Biden administration's climate goals. At the same time, the project still has its fair share of doubters in the local community, which suffers from some of the worst air quality in the state because of the area's long history of oil and gas. So today, Politico Zach Coleman on how this California project is trying out a community-first approach. It's Wednesday, September 6th. It's a kind of consortium of institutions, companies, policy groups that's led really by the University of California at Berkeley. And it's this concept that all these institutions are going to go to the Central Valley of California and talk to people who live there and ask, what do you want to see out of a direct air capture hub? A direct air capture, as many of us know, is a very theoretical, early stage technology. It can mean a bunch of different things, but basically you're hoovering carbon dioxide out of a flue stream or out of the air itself. Sometimes you're using it to make other things. Sometimes you're putting it into the ground. But it doesn't mean one specific thing. And that's kind of the idea here. It's we're not coming to these communities with a specific industrial plant or design or even location in mind. It's we're going to talk to you about what you want and help you decide whether this is even right for you. I mean, the project backers have not even committed to building a thing at all if the community doesn't want it. So it's kind of flipping the traditional development model on its head where normally you'd have a company that says, we want to build the thing that we build in every place that we have business. And let's talk to the county government and get tax credits. And we're going to increase your jobs and property values. And this is how we do things, but we'll ask for your input. Now this is like let's get your input on the front end. What do you want to see out of this? And the idea is maybe here you can avoid some of the confrontation if a project is being imposed on a place, if you give people ownership on the front end. So it sounds like what you're outlining is almost more about the strategy than the project itself. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about how that strategy, that model could potentially be replicated elsewhere and why it might be relevant to the Biden administration's goals you know, reducing climate emissions elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, this is a process here. I mean, what we're describing instead of a traditional steel-in-the-ground project is we're describing the promise of a process. And that's interesting in many ways because you have this conversation in Washington and other parts of the country about permitting reform, which is the idea of we need to change the laws or the processes to make sure that we can build the stuff we need to build faster to meet our climate goals. And you have progressives, environmentalists, liberals on one hand saying our laws are fine, it's that our processes are bad. And you have those who want to see you know, more steel in the ground, they can be in clean energy, they can be in the fossil fuel industry, they can be Democrats, they can be Republicans, whatever you want, saying actually we 
kind of need to change the laws and the processes here. Now, what this promise here with this plan in California is, you know, we're going to take the environmental justice model of public input seriously. And there's this emphasis on engaging with communities early because a lot of the environmental justice advocates and environmentalists say the reason projects get stopped is because communities had not been consulted. They were caught unaware. Their needs and desires were not listened to or considered. And this process that we're talking about here in California actually starts with that. It starts with what are the community's desires. Everything from what kind of workforce training do you want to see to how are we going to store this carbon dioxide that's captured. So that's a really interesting take on how to build stuff. And I guess I would just still imagine that gaining the community's trust, even if you kind of have all these processes in place, could still be really difficult. And as you noted in the story, the area is home to communities of color and low-income areas that are plagued by environmental burdens and have been for a long time. So could you tell us a bit more about this area's history in particular and sort of the concerns that community members have raised? Yeah, so the Central Valley is very much associated with oil and gas in California. I mean, it is the biggest oil and gas producing portion of the state, but it is now transitioned to very much an agricultural community and economy. So you have a lot of people who were at one point, their families or themselves were employed by the oil and gas industry who have seen hard times from the transition and downturn of the oil and gas economy in California, who are now working in agriculture, which is climate change threatened. So this is kind of a real area in transition. They're caught between the economy that gave them a lot of wealth, oil and gas, but also caused climate change and now are transitioned to an industry that is really having a hard time adapting to climate change, which is agriculture. So a lot of the people who are trying to push this project in this community are saying, look, let's come up with something sustainable where people can get high paying, good jobs. At the same time, there is this legacy of resource extraction and overuse. So there is concern in the community that if we're going to capture carbon dioxide and store it somewhere, should we be storing it underground where we already have leaking oil and gas wells, methane leaking from some of these wells? Should we be putting it in areas that could have groundwater contamination? Should we be relying on an extractive industry at all anymore? All these are questions that have to be confronted, not to mention real concerns about whether the technology itself will work well enough to capture all the pollution and emissions, not just carbon dioxide, but other hazardous and criterion pollutants that affect air quality in a region that has some of the worst air quality in the country. So there are some obvious concerns here that have to be paid attention to. Also, the European Union is drafting an update of its climate action plan ahead of this year's UN climate summit in November. But countries are at odds over what the top line greenhouse gas reduction target should be. Remember, at the 2021 Glasgow Climate Talks, all countries committed to strengthening their pledges to cut greenhouse gas emissions in line with the Paris Agreement by the end of 2022, but few did. And now, according to a draft of the policy seen by Politico, 
EU leadership has still not decided whether they will increase their target of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is working to responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.